podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 179 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We got a doozy tonight. A doozy woozy. First of all, before we get into that, I want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys and girls and canines. For everything you do for us. Appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know. I also want to say we've gotten a bunch, I would say more than normal, amount of emails and messages thanking us for what we do with the suicide uh, mentions and the depression Mm -hmm. mentions and mental health in general. And people just saying that, hey, it makes a difference. Well, let me first say that I would like to say thank you guys that reached out to me because you know that this is my first Christmas without my daddy, and you guys were very thoughtful, um, you know, sending hugs and things like that. Um, I I cannot tell you that Christmas Day was really, really extra hard for me this year, but you guys reached out, and it made the world a difference, and... um, the sunshine came back out and we were all good but i just want to say thank you guys for reaching out to me i appreciate it with that being said obviously if you're struggling the holidays are still we're kind of in the midst of it Mm -hmm. still that time of year and if you're struggling whether it be for the holidays whether it's just because life in general uh whatever the situation is um just remember there are people out there who care There are people who love you. There are people who think about you, whether you realize it or not. Reach out to someone. No matter what, reach out to somebody. You can reach out to us personally. You can reach out to people in the group. We've seen this Christmas, we have seen how much of a blessing that group is. Yes. Oh, you know, that's right. And I also saw um, something on Facebook, um, this guy holding up a sign saying, the world is a better place with you in it. And that was very touching. So I thought that was awesome. And you guys need to remember that. Yep, I agree 100%. Yes, please don't, you know, feel free to contact us anytime you want. Um, You know, if you'd rather not talk to somebody in the group or you be anonymous, you can call the suicide hotline at 800-273-8255. If you want to text, you can do 741-741. We've had a few people do that, and they like that a lot better. Um, but just know we're always here for you. The group's always here for you, and we love you very much. Yep, 100%. This week's story. Wow. It's just different. It's just different. Um, so it's not that it's, you know, I think all the stories we do are, are attention grabbers. But, you know, we've done several different types of stories that will make you kind of scratch your head and ask, 
hey, what could happen? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what happened here? What, how could this have happened? Most are more paranormal related, such as curses or hauntings or poltergeists. And we've discussed a few stories on here that are a little more in the bizarre category. And I think the main one that I, w- I would probably put close to this one is uh, Dyslov Pass. That one just kind of stands out to me as far as this type of story. Because it really weren't wasn't ghosts. It was just, you know, mm-hmm. these people just ended up dead. And there's so many unanswered questions. And, you know, that's kind of where this one goes in. So we've been asked by several people over the last three years to do the missing colony of Roanoke. Mm-hmm. And to me, Roanoke is a fascinating case. We do not have an answer as to what really happened to those people. Most seem to think that they kind of went off with some other Native American uh, tribes and just somehow over the course of, of time just blended in because obviously the tribe, um, the tribe, the uh, the colony was left here while, you know, they, they had to, you know, the leaders had to leave and go back to England to get supplies and stuff. And they were gone for a long time. Oh, I mean, I'm like sure. a year and a half or something. Oh, wow. You know, I don't have the exact numbers, and I'm sure yeah. somebody will correct me on it. Well, I'm sure it but, took a while to But I'm just saying, it, it was like a year and a half, two years or something like that before they got back, and these people were just gone. So that's different mm-hmm. than saying, oh, well, they just disappeared. Well, yeah, they disappeared, but nobody was looking at them for two years. So that don't really, that's not really mm-hmm. like a blink of an eye. This story is different, though. And, but that's why, you know, I, I, I wouldn't as fascinated with that. But the story that we're going to discuss tonight is the disappearance of the Inuit village near Lake Anjakuni in Canada. Now, the story has a complete disappearance of a village with no answers and no, no clue as to what happened. And there could be a possible paranormal twist. Hmm. Interesting. So let's go back to 1930. Your birth year. And <laughs> I knew he was going to go there. <laughs> Punk. A fur trader by the name of Joel Bell. He was out looking for a place to get some sleep, get out of the freezing cold for the night. And uh, he decided to stop in uh, on this little village that he had been in before. And it was right there by Lake Anjakuni. And he said, look, I know they'll welcome me because it's it's not an issue. He'd been there several times. Mm-hmm. So the Inuit village was right on the rocky shores of the lake. A lake and the village was in the, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, the Kavali region of the Nunavut, Canada. That's about 500 miles north of the village of Chinua village, which I don't know where that is either. Okay. But just throwing all that out there. So the village was a, a camp, basically, of like several tents and huts and stuff like that, that had about 30 very friendly local people there. Mm-hmm. Adults and children alike that made up the 30. The fishing was great here. The lake was, uh, was perfect for fishing, so food was plentiful. They had plenty of food. Several fur traders had spent time here at this uh, little camp in the past, other than LaBelle. So, I mean, this was this was a camp that everybody knew about, yeah, so to speak. So, as Joe approached the village, he did what he'd always done in the past, and he yelled out a friendly hello. Only this time, he didn't get back nothing. The usual hello back. Oh, not even a hello kitty. 
<laughs> so he made his way to the huts and the tents one by one. When he opened up each door, basically, what he found just completely baffled him. Not a person could be found. Not a single animal. Nothing. Here's where it starts to get strange. There were pots of food still sitting on top of what once was a fire. So, I mean, the fire wasn't going right now, but there was, you know, pots that still had food and stuff in it. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of odd to begin with. Other things stood out, though. Things that made it seem like that people of the village might have left in a hurry. For example, he saw a flame still burning out in the uh, community a little bit. So he, he runs toward this flame. And what he saw there was a stew inside of a pot that was over top of what looked like it had been uh, a fire that, that was still smoldering. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't completely, you know, in flames. Yeah, but so it, basically you're saying that these people disappeared not that long ago. Right. And it looked like that the, the food in, in place was some kind of caribou type stew. Yeah. Is what he said. And he said and it looked like it was still mostly there. Like like it now, hadn't bowled down. Or yeah, it had, like that. it had burnt now, obviously. Yeah. because nobody. But it's like somebody put it on there and nobody ate any of it. Or they ate very little of it. So that would have been odd. That is very odd. There was not a single chimney that had smoke coming out of it. Now, this is middle of middle winter. Middle of winter, yeah. They would have all had smoke, but none of them had smoke coming out of it. Now, he also noticed that in one of the houses, there was some sealskin clothing that was for a child that had been mended. They were mm-hmm. mending it. It still had the needle and the thread in it, and it was just like thrown up on a, on a bed as if somebody just said, we got to get out of here. So he was all just adding to the confusion. He said it was literally in mid-stitch. Here's the other strange thing. All of the rifles were still in the huts. And Eskimos, and especially these villagers, they would never leave without their guns. That was just a no-no. There's so many different, you know, you got... All kinds of vicious animals and everything else mm-hmm. like that. It's just not safe. He starts making his way around the rest of the camp, and he finds that the fish hut was fully stocked. So now they've left in a hurry, and they also didn't take food with them. What the heck? And they had plenty of food, so there was no reason for them to leave. Yeah. So it's, at least for that purpose. He couldn't find any signs whatsoever of a struggle. No, No blood, no... Nothing knocked over, nothing. Everything just looked like everybody just vanished. So there was a lot of people that lived here? 30. 30? Mm-hmm. Everything Joe LaBelle saw made him think that people of the village made a mass exodus. No matter what the circumstances was, Joe knew that the people would not have just left without their food, their rifles, or their outerwear. They just wouldn't have. Next, he's looking for signs of what direction they might have traveled mm-hmm. off to. Mm-hmm. It appeared to him that the exit would have been fairly recent due to the fact that the food and the still burning flame that he saw out there. But he couldn't find any footprints in the snow whatsoever. (laughs) That is crazy. And you would especially find footprints of 30 people. Oh, yeah. That would make quite a bit of Uh a stir. So LaBelle was freezing. He was worn out, but he had no intentions on staying there. 
Something chased them people off, so why would he stay there? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think I probably might have. I guess he figures if everybody else just left all their stuff behind and just skedaddled. Yeah. There might be some reason why they're not staying there, so maybe he probably shouldn't stay there either. So he completely freaked out, and he decided that even though it was a nice thought to have warmth and shelter and food and all that, it, the risk outweighed the reward, and he wasn't going to do it. So he went miles away to the nearest telegraph office, shows up, frostbit, and within minutes, an emergency message was sent out to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So the people were still there. There was people there where he went. Yeah, the telegraph office. This yeah. was miles away, though. Miles this was away, not, yeah. not at that camp. Okay. They showed up, the Royal Mounted Police, and they show up at the telegraph office several hours later, and they met with Joe. Well, Joe conveyed to the police that he felt that whatever happened there was some kind of supernatural in nature. Mm-hmm. So the Mounted Police make their way towards the village to kind of investigate. Part of the way, they stop off for a rest at a little shanty that was owned by a fur trapper by the name of Armand Laurent and his two sons. So the officers, they didn't want to divulge too much information, but they did say that they were on their way to Lake Anjakuni to deal with kind of a problem. They asked if they... uh, had noticed anything strange in the last couple of days. Uh-huh. Well, turns out that they had. Just not what the officers were expecting them to have seen. You know, they're hoping they saw maybe some people kind of, you know, coming through or... Like, yeah, in a grave or something. said that he and his sons saw this strange object streaking across the sky just a few days earlier. He said it was... Huge and all lit up. And according to him, it also seemed to change shapes right in front of them. It changed from a cylinder into a bullet-like object. And guess what direction it was flying in? Right towards the direction of the village that is now missing. So the mounted police continue on to the village. And once they get there, they were able to confirm that everything Joe LaBelle had said was exactly true. Even more kind of strange were the things that they stumbled across that LaBelle didn't know about. Oh, like what? So we're going to start with the fact that they found several open graves (gasps) in the village burial ground. Now, not only open, but they were emptied. How would he not see that? Unless it was just off to... Well, it was on the outskirts, I guess. Oh, okay. So, here's the funny thing. The... Inuit people, to desecrate a grave, to open it back up, would have been taboo. That's something that would not have happened. Mm-hmm. Let alone to either to take that body out of there. That's just something that they did not believe in doing. So some people would say, well, maybe it was animals, maybe it was whatever. Well, here's the thing. The ground around the graves was frozen solid, hard as a rock. And the stones that had been taken off the top of the graves had been neatly stacked on both sides of the graves, meaning that that was no possible way it was done by animals. Well, no, that's very true. Yeah, animals don't do a good job of stacking rocks. No, no. Typically. So the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were disturbed 
by their findings, and they put together a search party. So the next discovery was the dead bodies of seven sled dogs. They were found about 300 feet away from the edge of the village, and they were buried in about 12 feet of snow. Now, they think what happened was these dogs um, died, and then the snow... Uh, blew over top of them, mm-hmm, making the drifts. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't think that the, the somebody buried them. They just think the mm-hmm. it was blown over top of them. They had apparently all starved to death. Aww. Now, it's strange that these animals starved to death, considering that there was plenty of food in the huts surrounding them. Yeah. What's up with that? Well, one account said that the dogs were tied to the trees that were right there in the area. And if that was the case, it would have made more sense because if they're yeah, tied to the trees, I, they can't get away. Yeah. It still doesn't answer, though, why the dogs starved so quickly. Because this guy says, hey, I just saw a fire burning there. So, and these dogs all started. They're not going to starve to death in two or three days. Mm-mm. It literally would take a week to two yeah. weeks for these dogs to starve to death. Well, how dare them try them to a tree like that? It's well, terrible. Like I said, nobody really knows what happened there. So, did the villagers starve their own dogs to death? Is that possible? And if so, why? I mean, these dogs were a, an essential part of their survival. This is how mm-hmm. they got around. Yeah. They needed these dogs. So not only did they leave, but they left the dogs behind. That is messed up. It's very perplexing, to say the least. So here's another kicker. The officers also reported seeing strange blue lights pulsating above the village. They all watched until the lights disappeared. So the, the officer seen this. Now we're going to fast forward two weeks later. The mounted police conclude that all of the investigations that they've done in the past two weeks, that based on some berries that were found in one of the cooking pots, they felt like the village had been gone for at least two months. Two months? So the obvious question now is, but wait, how what, the, how what about the fire that LaBelle yeah. came upon? Well, could this have been from just some other trapper that had been traveling through that took advantage of the ability of, of food and shelter there? Maybe somebody else that came by and, hey, nobody's here, so I'll just start a fire and eat some of this food. I mean, I guess that's a possibility. So it's just all really confusing, to say the least. So there's some discrepancies as to when this story actually hit the newspapers. Because it did hit the newspapers. The first official account was allegedly printed on November 28, 1930 in the newspaper La Paz, Manitoba. And that's French, so I probably screwed that up too. Problem with that is twofold. First, there was no pictures of the tribe because they're kind of out on their own. It's not like, you know, Facebook had all kinds of pictures of them. Mm Mm-hmm. There was no pictures, so when they put the ad in the, or this uh, uh, story in the paper, they used like a stock photo, and the stock photo was of a deserted Cree tent, uh, Cree being another tribe, from 1909. And because that picture was inaccurate, there was a lot of people that said, oh, well, then the whole story just doesn't have any mm-hmm. credibility. The whole thing's made up. See, the other thing is that other people say that the first report actually came the day before by the Danville B. And the one, though, that caught everybody's attention and made it national news was actually on November 29th by the Halifax Herald. 
So the Herald read, this was the headline. Lost in Barrens of North, a village of dead found by trapper Joe LaBelle. Here's what Joe LaBelle said to the paper. He said, I felt immediately that something was wrong. In view of the half-cooked dishes, I knew they had been disturbed during preparation of dinner. In every cabin, I found a rifle leaning beside the door, and no Eskimo goes anywhere without his gun. I understood that something terrible had happened. Shortly after this, papers all over North America started picking the story up. To many, this was the biggest unsolved mystery to ever be looked at by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Oh, man, I'm sure. So the big question is, did it happen? Is this a true story? It's a good question. I guess really it's going to depend on who you ask. Now, according to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's website, it did not. Here is what their website says. The story about the disappearance in the 1930s of the Inuit village near Lake Anjakuni is not true. An American author by the name of Frank Edwards is purported to have started this story in his book, Stranger Than Science. It has become a popular piece of journalism, repeatedly published and referred to in books and magazines. There is no evidence, however, to support such a story. A village with such a large population would not have existed in such a remote area of the Northwest Territories. Furthermore, the mounted police who patrolled the area recorded no untoward events of any kind, and neither did local trappers or missionaries. Okay, so let's first look at the author that they're referring to in this statement, Frank Edwards. Now, after the initial media frenzy after the, from this event, the case kind of went cold. And it just sat on desks for from the for the mounted police for years without any kind of mention until 1959. So now we're looking at almost 30 years later. That's when Frank Edwards wrote his book, Stranger Than Science, that they mention. Frank Edwards covered stories that definitely were out of the ordinary, but was never accused of making up stories. But that's kind of what the mounted police pretty much do on their website. Here's the problem with their statement. It's flat-out wrong. We discussed earlier that several newspapers reported this event in 1930, which is the year the event happened. Mm-hmm. Edward's book was written almost 30 years later. More importantly, it's the records of at least two separate investigations by the Mounted Police. Now, they said nothing happened and right. they don't have any records. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not true because the first record of uh, an investigation was January 17th of 1931. The man in charge of that uh, was a gentleman by the name of Sergeant J. Nelson, and he was with the La Paz Department. So Nelson was infatuated by this story, and he started an investigation. It's unclear whether the investigation was actually sanctioned by the Mounted Police or if he just took it upon himself to do it. <clears throat> but we know that it happened yeah. at that time. So Nelson said that he could find, um, he couldn't really find any truth to the story. What was his conclusion based on? Well, there was a book written by a gentleman by the name of Chris Rutowski, 
and Jeff Dittman called The Canada UFO Report, The Best Cases Revealed. Now, in this book, they say that Nelson made his assumption based off the uh, conversation he had with the owner of Windy Lakes Trading Post. Now, the owner of this trading post wished to remain anonymous, anonymous, and he said that he hadn't heard about any deserted village from any trappers who came through to his store. Mm -hmm. So the trading post owner even went as far as to speculate that Joe LaBelle may have never even been in that area. What the heck? That this is what Sergeant Nelson said. Sergeant Nelson said, Joe LaBelle, the trapper who is alleged to have um, relayed the story to Emmett E. Kellum, which was the editor, I mean, a newspaper reporter, the correspondent, is considered to be a newcomer to this country and doubts are expressed as to whether he was even been to the territories. Nelson also said that Kellen had a habit of writing colorful stories of the North and very little credence can be given to his articles. He did admit that he had not interviewed the reporter himself. So the final conclusion, the case for the vanished village rests upon the story of an inexperienced trapper told to an imaginative but conscientious newsman. So basically, he really didn't do much research. He talked to a trapper and said, well, I didn't hear nothing about it. And I don't even know if that guy's been there or not. And that was all he used to come up with. Well, no, he made up the whole story. That's a pretty elaborate story to make up. Well, we're going to get into more of why that little bit of research can be debunked. So most skeptics rely on this report by Sergeant Nelson as proof that this whole story is a hoax. But how deep did he really dig? We just covered that. We saw that there were two investigations, though. That was one of them. November 1976, the editor for Fate Magazine, which we talk about all the time on here, did a story titled Vanished Village Revisited, in which they confirmed that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police did a second investigation in 1931. The Mounted Police in this article admitted to finding a deserted camp. They said that they felt that the camp was either seasonal or it had been a had been permanently abandoned with no mysterious circumstances. <laughs> and it just moved on. So they declared the case closed. Problem here is that Plenty of the Inuit tribes were considered to be nomad, which meant they moved around a lot anyway. Yeah. So that wouldn't have been unusual, but they don't just leave all their stuff behind. Stuff. No, that makes no sense. And as far as the nomad type of Inuits, there weren't many of those left by the 1930s. So the chances of that being a tribe that would just pick up and left wouldn't have really made much sense. Even if they were nomads... Like I said, they wouldn't have left their guns and their food and all that stuff. And they wouldn't have taken their dead. No. Why would they have dug up their dead? So regardless of what happens, it's obvious that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police don't want to have any connection with this. So, what did happen here? What makes a tribe of people just walk away from everything they own, including weapons and food? Why were there no tracks showing where they went? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Were they killed? If so, how come there was no sign of a struggle? How come there was no blood? Why didn't they take their dogs with them? And why were they all tied up in a separate part of town where they normally would have been? We touched on the fact that there were some strange things pointed out to have been in the sky. Could this have been a UFO abduction? Is it possible? This would explain how everybody could have just disappeared with no sign of a struggle and left behind everything. Mm -hmm. Right in the middle of cooking and sewing and everything else. Well, here's another thing to contemplate. Remember back near the beginning of the story when we talked about Joe LaBelle, what did he tell the Royal Mounted Police? Mm -hmm. He told them he felt like it was something supernatural. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that he didn't know about the strange lights in the skies. All he knows was what he saw. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't know about any of this stuff. So what was LaBelle talking about when he said he thought it was supernatural? Because it wouldn't, about the strange lights. In the past... Like I said, he had been in this village several times, and they had told him about an evil spirit that they feared coming from him called Tornrark. Now, he may have gotten the name slightly wrong because the name he was actually looking for was Torngasic, but also goes by a few other different pronunciations, which we won't get into. Mm-hmm. About four or five different pronunciations, oh, but dang. it's all the same creature. Here's the deal. This was supposed to be, to these people, a demonic sky deity, according to Inuit legend. He led a legion of malevolent spirits, this deity. Now, let me point out something real quick. Sergeant Nelson said that LaBelle uh, may have never even been in the area. and definitely, definitely hadn't been in the region. Well... It's kind of odd that he would know something so particular to these people. Well, yeah, I mean, how like do they know he'd never been in there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But for him to know this, he had to have been around there. Yeah. I mean, he that's... Would, you know, it's not like he could have looked it up on the internet. Well, that's true. I mean, I just feel like that's a lot of things to make up, you know. Yeah, I've never, I've never been in the region, but somehow I know the people well enough to know that this creature that they fear directly by name. Right. Yeah. Anyways... The only one of the tribe that could see the demons with their eyes were the shamans. And the name, by the way, translates to great devil. Mm. So this would um, cause the Inuit people to sometimes recite incantations and even in some cases sacrifice animals to keep this deity away. They did feel like that this deity could come back and appear to them in animal form. It may come back as a wolf or as a bear. And some believe that they may have felt that their dogs had become possessed by these spirits. And that's why they tied them up and starved them. Oh, that's a shame. Last but not least, it is possible that they disappeared by crossing into another dimension. Mm Mm-hmm. All we know is that 30 people were here one day, and they were gone the next, and no clues of whatever happened. What do you think about that? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And see, like I said, you you know, the Roanoke deal, it's different than this one. Mm -hmm. It just is. I mean, it was, you know, 
several months, a year and a half, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, at most two months, even even according to the Royal, you know, Canadian Mounted Police. You're looking at two months maximum. And it's just there's so many things there that just. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't make sense. No, it, not at all. Wow. Whoo. That's deep. It was deep. And don't call me Shirley. No, you didn't. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's crazy. I just, I just think it's a a very, really uh, perplexing story all the way around. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how this guy could made all that stuff up, especially if he'd walked by that place a hundred times before and waved and knew everybody or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's. It doesn't make sense. No, it don't make sense. And that is, that's what the great part of it is. I don't know. But the, the Canadian Mounted Police, they apparently, like I said, even on their website today, mm-hmm. it says none of that's true. But then there's proof that there actually was two investigations, mm-hmm. and it was in three newspapers. Yeah. So how are you going to say this guy made it up in 1959 when it was in newspapers in the 30s? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's just that's, they, I think they were scared. It's not true. Yeah. It's just not true. Yeah. I think they were scared. Now, did I not? Did I know it happened? No, I don't know that for a fact it happened. But we at least know that it didn't start with that book in '59. We yes. at least know that it was mentioned, whether it was true or not back then. It was still mentioned 30 years before that. Mm-hmm. So, wow, crazy! Yikes! You want to uh, do the honors of uh, Patreon and? Sure thing. Well, we had a lot of nice reviews, and we really appreciate you guys. Keep them coming, if you don't mind. Yes, keep them coming. Uh, Kimmy 77 K. Cummings, Megan C. Mill, Swole, 0425, Maddie, GC95, Kev Nerd, Casey Roy, and Stitch Girl, Zero one two two. Love you too, babe. Thank you for saying that. Our Patreons are Karen Carlson Roth, Rob Collier, Kathy James, and Sharon. Thank you guys for your support. It means the world to us. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas holidays with your family. And I can't believe we're saying twenty twenty. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I wish my eyes were twenty twenty. I wish my eyes were twenty twenty. Seriously, they're so awful. But anyway. Yeah, your eyes are so bad, your hindsight's not even twenty twenty. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> we got this whole new year coming up and a lot of things planned, a lot of things we're looking forward to and meeting a bunch of you guys this year. We're excited for this to start. And... Yep, let's talk about that. Oh, okay. First and foremost, we've talked about doing the um, January 12th to the 18th, doing the Lifetime Patreon membership drive, $50, get you... Uh, full lifetime we have decided that we got a lot more response out of that than we thought we were going to get and we decided that you know what we're going to start it now Mm -hmm. so if you go to our website right on smack on the front page there's a big sign says basically click here you pay your 50 dollars within 24 hours we will send you a code you put that code into whatever podcast app you listen to and you will get everything that's crazy forever forever and ever yeah and uh, it's our part of our way of saying thanks. What do you get? You get over 450 uh, Hillbilly Short episodes. We do 
an additional six one of those every week, so you'll get 24 of those a month going forward. So that's just going to keep accumulating. We've got over 50 um, full-length episodes that we've done on there. Really cool. Uh, you'll get two more of those every month going forward. You also are going to get every one of the weekly episodes we get, and we're getting ready to start doing more weekly episodes. So we got two right now, but we'll tell you details later. There'll be more coming. So we're going to have three or four episodes a week coming out. You'll get every one of those commercial free and 20% off of any merchandise in our store forever. Hmm. Sounds like a good deal for 50 bucks. Yeah, I think it's a good deal. I hope you guys think it is too. If you all have any questions or ideas about it just let us know i can tell you no other podcast is doing anything like this uh-huh. fact fact jack fact anyway so we got that now part two about this year obviously oh well, by the way if you're already a patreon supporter and you're wanting to get that deal just make sure you cancel your patreon uh before the first or they'll charge you that dollar amount on mm-hmm. top of mm-hmm you know, getting this. So go ahead and, and get that out before the first and cancel that one and sign up for this one. And then that way you don't get charged more money than you need to. And True. we appreciate it. True story. But 2020, all of these awesome shows we got lined up. And we've already had so many of you guys buy tickets already. I know. That's so amazing. What, I mean, what a blessing. Most, most of these shows, we have um, four podcasts instead of three. And... We've got some new uh, people joining the, the fold. Like we got Blurry Photos doing the shows with us. We've got Hysteria 51 doing shows with us. Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors is back for the show that we're doing in Charleston. Ashley Godwin is doing shows with us. Serial um, Spirits is doing shows with us again. And then we've got a bunch of the regular ones. Justin, Justin Rimmel will be back for a bunch of shows. The the boys from Ohio are going to be back from a bunch of hoes. Uh, well, I guess well, that was Freudian didn't slip. Have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be back for, I think, three shows. We got uh, Bishop James Long yep. is going to be in our Indianapolis and our Louisville show. And and we have went out. If you'd seen what my Christmas list looked like, we've added more stuff for special effects. For um, I mean, we're, we're doing it right, guys. When you come to a show this year, I promise you, you're going to be blown away. We've got lights. We've got cameras. We've got... Uh, uh, sound effects. We've got better equipment. We've got everything, and it's going to be really cool. Yeah, you, you guys will like it. We got a fog machine, but there's some places where we can't use that. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> <laughs> as we found out. But, anyways, that's what we got for you. We love you, and we thank God every day that you're in our lives. Absolutely, thank you for a wonderful year. You guys have been so amazing. We're very blessed. Yeah, this actually is the last one of the year. Yep, it is. So I hope you guys have a fabulous new year. If you go out and celebrate, please be safe. And I guess we'll see you next year. Yep, go to the website, get your Patreon on, and uh, start celebrating right. 